Lucy could do everything and anything. She really was unbelievably talented and incredibly gorgeous. She, she was just great. Thanks for joining us on the American Masters podcast, where we pull never-before-heard interviews off the shelf and onto the airwaves. I'm your host, Michael Cantor, executive producer of the long-running PBS documentary series, American Masters. In this episode, we're celebrating Lucille Ball on what would have been the actress, comedian, and producer's 105th birthday. For decades, Ball was one of the most beloved entertainers in the world and one of the most influential women of the 1950s and 60s. Most of America discovered Lucy's genius through her comic timing and quirky physical clowning in the landmark television show I Love Lucy, which made history because it wasn't live but filmed in 35mm before a live studio audience. Today, we'll hear from three women who worked with Lucy or were influenced by her brand of comedy. Co-star Doris Singleton, her admirer Fran Drescher, and close friend Carol Burnett. We begin with the late actress Doris Singleton, who played Lucy's nemesis, Carolyn Appleby. She was interviewed for American Masters' Finding Lucy back in November 1999, and she recalls working with Lucy in radio prior to their work together in television. I first met Lucy in radio. Uh, she was doing My Favorite Husband then. It's time for My Favorite Husband, starring Lucille Ball. Hello, everybody. We did radio in a studio with an audience because all of the uh, comedians and comedians at that time wanted that... Uh, they wanted the reaction from the audience. Uh, they didn't have a laugh track. You know, they depended on a live audience to laugh. And so the audience was out there. The actors were on stage. We always sat on stage. There might be four people on the mic at the same time. So there'd be two on one side and, and uh, two at one mic and two on the other. Good morning, Katie. Good morning, Mrs. Cooper. Has Mr. Cooper finished his shower yet? I don't think so. He's through toting the barge and lifting the bale, and he was getting a little drunk, so I guess he's just about landing in jail now. <laughs> Liz Cooper, as played by Lucy, was very much the same character as the one she did on television. Lucy was always getting into trouble on that show, and her husband was always getting her out of it. Liz, stop wiping the silverware on your skirt. Oh, it's all right. My dress needs cleaning anyway. <laughs> Right here? Oh, no, no, don't sit next to the doctor. Uh, I'll sit on your right hand, and George will sit on your left hand. Well, how will I eat? Out of a nose bag? And then when the show went to television, uh, Lucy liked working with people she had worked with before successfully. So anyway, they asked me if I would come and do, do their television show, which I was delighted to do. Doing that show, that was the three-camera technique. And... Nobody had done that before. We did a show that was filmed or taped with an audience. The audience sat in bleachers. It was uh, three cameras, and Lucy had her own camera, and Desi, and Vivian, and uh, Bill. Anyway, it was very it was unusual because you you had to play to the audience. Lucy would say, "Now listen, there, there's an audience up there. You've got to project. You got to." 
be heard. You can't whisper your lines, you know. So you were playing to the audience at the same time you were playing to the camera. And you had to be in your camera. And you better be damn sure you were not in Lucy's camera because, you know, the cameras were close together. And if you put your head over here, you know, and the nose got in her camera, that was very bad. And there weren't a lot of retakes at that time. We didn't stop for mistakes or anything like that. So it was a very unusual way of presenting uh, a show that had not been done before. There had been shows that were filmed and some that were live, but not, uh, not a three-camera technique. It was a lot of hard work is what it was. But the end result was fun, and they're fun to see today because uh, Lucy was such a wonderful comedian. She was feminine. She, was, uh, she could do everything. She tried everything, you know, whatever it was. It was if they said, oh, Lucy, you know, you can, uh, you can do the grape routine. You're stomping grapes and the thing, which is a wonderful show. And she did it, and she danced, and she was very Italian. She was everything that, you know, uh, everything they wanted her to be. It's very unusual for a beautiful woman to really let herself be made ugly. Lucy was never ugly, but I mean, you know, with the makeup and the, and just, just everything they did to her. She was a glamorous actress uh, and would do everything, but um, uh, she never lost her femininity. And that was the thing that made Lucy so wonderful is that she retained that uh, femininity. And she was just um, beautiful all the time. She didn't mind looking funny as long as she was funny. Tonight, the star of the radio program, My Favorite Husband, and co-star with Bob Hope in Paramount's forthcoming movie, Fancy Pants, Lucille Ball. Miss Ball will be interviewed by reporters whose beat is the film capital of the world, reporters who know Hollywood inside out. Have you played comedy roles, Lucille, because you preferred them or because of uh, the circumstances of being cast for them, let's say. Well, I've been lucky enough to be cast for them. I do think that I prefer them. I think anyone who starts out life as an ugly duckling sort of takes to comedy, if you know what How's I mean. That That's right, Bob. I was the tall, skinny one and the uh, in school. And when I came out here as a Goldwyn girl several years ago, I was the ugly duckling in that group. Why, well, you've come along. <laughs> well, I hope so. I hope I've been able to use some of my good points and cover up the others, but uh, <laughs> that is, I'm afraid, how a lot of comedians and comedians start. I'd like to ask about the color of your hair and just why you keep it that color. Well, what color is it? I'm colorblind. <laughs> it's called orange. Oh, Francis, and you're a woman, the only woman at this table. <laughs> now, let's see. Now, it's red gold. Isn't it, Francis? Well, Isn't that's, it? that's your opinion. Okay. <laughs> 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 My natural hair, and uh, as much as you brought it up, is sort of a mousy brown, I'm afraid. This is a happy color for me. I like it. It's been very lucky for me. I've had it for several years. I wouldn't know what to do without it. Lucille, the story going around town is you've got a fabulous, huge mink coat made of at least 40,000 skins. Oh! <laughs> it is a good-looking coat, I think. Uh, it's a Dior model, and Desi picked it out himself, and I'm very proud of it. It happens to be my first mink coat. No one believes that, but it's true. 
The character wasn't afraid to be glamorous and sexy. And that's something that Lucille Ball, I think, really started on television for women. That's Fran Drescher, star of the television show The Nanny, interviewed by filmmaker Pamela Mason Wagner for American Masters Finding Lucy back in November 1999. You know, so often they were complaining that they didn't have money, and yet she always looked great, and she wasn't afraid to uh, really be very stylish. Uh, very often her costumes were, you know, designed, and it looked it. But, you know, she was so human and so grounded and so real that, you know, when she'd go buy a new hat to cheer up or she'd uh, buy uh, an outfit that, you know, she really couldn't afford and was afraid to tell Ricky or, you know, whatever, then women across America could really relate to her. And I guess the whole question is, you know, people looking back on the show, was Lucy a feminist? She didn't want to take those orders from her husband. And I think the kind of simplistic way of looking at it is to say, oh, she was under his thumb and he was the patriarch. But it's really not there in the show when you watch these things carefully. She's always, even though her schemes usually fail, the reconciliation at the end with a kiss or somehow they come back together and he forgives her, she's not one down. More often than not, they say, we're even. Well, let me tell you something. Uh, there's something very nostalgic about that 50s relationship where he says, Lucy, you're in trouble. And, you know, sometimes he literally spanked her on TV. I remember, you know, he would like put her over his knee and he'd start spanking her and she'd go, wah, wah. And everybody was like, you know, oh, is this funny? And I thought, you know, well, I love that relationship. It's really nostalgic and it's very clean. I think that there's a lot of confusion that, you know, we have to go through. I mean, obviously, if you don't want to be a 50s housewife, um, if you do, fine, but if you don't, um, there's going to be some graying of the boundaries between men and women in today's culture and it's confusing and sometimes it's like, you don't know how you're supposed to be, and men still sort of are uncomfortable if you make more money or, you know, you're strong or they're, you know, weak or who knows. There's like a million things that everybody is still trying to figure out culturally. In the 50s, you know, it was different. On the I Love Lucy show, you accepted it. And throughout all the years, because it's sort of a black and white thing, you know, it's, it's an old-fashioned kind of a sitcom, and so you watch it in the context that it came out of. But if the same scripts were, you know, um, reproduced today with another cast, it would not be successful because nobody really wants to see a married couple function that way anymore. But I think there's something, that is that Lucy was not like the other 50s TV housewives. She was not June Cleaver. She was not this meek, passive, just kind of part of the furniture. She was the center around which all the action revolved. So even though you are subservient to the male, you're still instigating the action, and that is the strong person in this role. No, she was by no means a June Cleaver because she was not happy, uh, you know, sending him, uh, you know, out to work with a paper bag filled with lunch that she prepared and tidy up the house and make it all ready for him when he gets home. That wasn't what she was about. The minute he left, she started scheming with Ethel how she can get her way and do what she wanted to do. In a contemporary relationship, that would never happen. Uh, you know, I mean, uh, she should be able to say to him, no, this is really what I, and they would communicate. 
but you know, <laughs> uh, the, the, that's a very contemporary term. And Lucy didn't communicate with Ricky. She did what she wanted to do. She went after what she wanted, in spite of you know what he would order her not to do. Um, which I think, in a certain way, is of course you know feminist makes her her own person and everything like that. She knew how to manipulate her man. She knew how to work it out that uh, she can get what she wants. And that's what was so funny. You know, you always knew in the end it was going to be a happy ending. But for, you know, those 22 minutes, you went on a, uh, a journey to see just how she was, Lucy was going to get her way. She had her own agenda, and it was somewhat separate from him. And in a way, you know, maybe it's healthier. And if maybe women need to be a little smarter in that way that, you know, certain things you should communicate and other things you have to respect the, the differences and just, you know, sidestep it. Get Do what you want, but not have to change the other person into seeing your point of view. Just sort of, you know, work your ways, your mysterious ways behind his back and, um, you know, live happily ever after. Of course, that wasn't the behind the scenes. And uh, therein lies the rub. Sitcoms are sitcoms, and real life is real life. Well, Lucille, it sounds like your marriage to Desi is a very happy one, but I understand you have some, also some definite opinions about Hollywood divorces. Well, Desi and I have been happy. We've had our ups and downs. I don't think there's anyone who's been married that hasn't. If they have, it's been quite uninteresting for them, I suspect. Certainly nothing uninteresting about our marriage. Uh... We did have uh, almost more than we could bear during the war a few times. And we did separate for three months. We did uh, contemplate getting a divorce. We thought it all over. We talked it out. And we decided this. Usually when couples divorce, they remarry. The woman then makes a better wife than she was before for the man she marries. And the man makes a better husband than he was. So two other people profit by our mistakes. So we decided that we'd stick together and profit by our own mistakes. I think Lucille Ball really was the first woman to own her own show. Now, TV hadn't been around that long. But then went on to become the president of Desi Lu and I guess together with her husband did run a major studio and then on her own after mm -hmm. the picture. So... Maybe you could talk about, do you think she broke barriers for women and set an example so that a person like you of a later generation could know it was possible because it had been done before? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, Desi Lu, the concept of these two people that, uh, and everybody told them that it couldn't be done, uh, that uh, nobody wanted to see a show with uh, a Cuban with an accent. You know, that was considered a mixed marriage. And uh, they wanted to do it with an audience so you can really feel the laughs. And, you know, they wanted to they owned it, you know, it was all breaking ground. Um, and they did it so well. And there were so many shows that became Desilu shows. I mean, even uh, more current shows like That Girl was a Desilu show, if I recall. And um, growing up over the years, most of my favorite shows were Desilu shows. Uh, so, yes, absolutely. Um, I always thought that that's I would want to make the nanny kind of a cornerstone 
of my own production company and maybe my own studio someday. I think that uh, the fact that uh, Lucy generated that show from its concept level and uh, was one of the producers on it and and ran the company that uh, was behind it, um, became the backbone for all women, particularly in television, and certainly for me personally. I always felt like I can come up with my own show like Lucy did, and I can be one of the producers on it because I did many, many years of failed pilots, and I learned a lot about the mistakes that other producers made. And I looked to the shows like I Love Lucy's that were, you know, tried and true successes and saw what was right about it, and I was able to hone in on the ingredients that made that thing work. And part of it is the passion of the people that are making the show. And the fact that they own it is a great incentive. I can't tell you how many times the studio would say to me, you know, you're unbelievable. You're like the hardest working woman in show business and nobody promotes a show. Nobody sells a show like you do. And I'll tell you, it helps to be an owner. You know, I mean, I have a piece of the rock in this show, The Nanny, and so did she. And that makes you go that extra mile. No matter how much actors get paid, you're a hired gun, and everybody else is running the show and making decisions for you. I could not remain infantile, and that's what you are when you're an actor, without having any say in the matter, without having any control. And, you know, Lucy did it, so why couldn't I? And uh, it was a great incentive for me. And uh, she was a great um, uh, sort of shining example to look up to and aspire towards. Lucy was not the character that she portrayed. She was also not really a very light person. She was always rather serious, really rather serious. Uh, the only time I, I saw Lucy relax, really, was uh, oh, when we'd be on vacation and um, Charlie and I would run into Lucy and Desi in Hawaii when the show was on hiatus, you know. And uh, so then she was she was fun and, you know, when I say that Lucy wasn't light, because she was serious. She was serious about her work and the show and everything. And so um, one day I was at rehearsal and uh, it was a Monday. And my husband had just done a special for their first color show. And in it, he had a sketch that was a little satire on Lucy and Desi. And so they were doing a sketch about their ratings, you know, and he was saying, honey, you know, we got to do something about our rating. And he, she said, Desi, she said, I, I've done everything that I can do. I, I had a baby. And so she says, now you do something. So he said, well, they, I took out my appendix, I had my tonsils out. He says, there's nothing left. She says, oh, let them browse around a little. They'll find something. So when Lucy came in, she came in storming. This was the Monday after the show. She said, Jess, did you see what they did to me last night? Did you see what they did on NBC? And he said, what? She said, did you see that show? The show with Lucy and Desi? And he said, yeah, it was funny. He said, Lucy, cool it, because Doris's husband wrote that show. And she said, 
Oh, well, how could he have done that to us? And I said, well, Lucy, I didn't write it, and I thought it was funny. What's the matter? She said, well, I think it's terrible. And she went on and on, and she really had me in tears. So I went out and cried a little, came back, and she says, oh, I'm sorry. She said, it really was funny. And I said, well, then why were you complaining so? And she said, well, you know, when you're being, when it's a spoof. And I said, well, that's the that is the sincerest form of flattery, isn't it? Well, I think that she was probably very troubled. Uh, in spite of their success, uh, Desi did have a roving eye. Desi liked the ladies. And um, so he pursued them. And uh, that was not to Lucy's liking at all. And, um, you know, while I said that I was not terribly aware of the breakup and so forth because they were very professional at rehearsals and on stage and so forth, um, so I wasn't aware how deeply hurt she was. I don't think Lucy ever got over Desi, really. And now, Lucille, we've reached that point in the program where we spin the table, so to speak, and give you an opportunity to ask the questions. Are you ready? Thank you, Hank. I have a couple, just a couple I'd like to ask about. I've wanted to know for a long time why it is. Bob, maybe you can help me. I really want a frank answer. Why is it that unhappiness always has to make the news? Why is that true? I know it's true. Happy marriages mean nothing. Divorces mean a great deal to you. Um, bad health, mental health or otherwise. Disregarding murders and things like that. I know they're news. But why is it that all the unhappiness in this town always has to be played? I'm talking about this town. Why... why uh, why don't couples who have been married 19 years, for instance, why aren't wonderful long stories written about them? Why is it just the quick, unhappy things? I don't know if I should... Well, I can tell you this, and you may use it or not. That's Carol Burnett, star of The Carol Burnett Show, who spoke with me in 2007 about Lucy's experience creating a show without Desi Arnaz. She was on our show, and so uh, it was Thursday, and we had orchestra coming up, and we had already blocked. So she and I decided to go over to the farmer's market and have something to eat. And so we're sitting in this little booth, this Italian restaurant. She said, it's great that you have Joe, my husband. He's, he's a good producer and that he's doing all of this stuff, and then you can just come in and do your work, and you don't have to deal you know, with the machinations and what goes on behind the scenes. He does it. She said, that's what the Cuban did for me. And she said, and then we got divorced. Now, I'm, I'm in charge. I used to go in on Mondays and just be Lucy. And the scripts would be great, and Desi would have had his way with the writers and whatever, and it would be perfect. She said, so this Monday I go in, and it's terrible. It's just not funny, and I don't, I don't know how to talk to the writers. I did, you know, why do I tell them? And I said, look, let's just take a break and come back after lunch. And so she, was, she says, that was frantic. And then she said, I had a big talk with myself, and I knew that I could do it because I learned a lot from Desi. And she said, so I went back, and I became 
as they would say, tough. You know, a guy can be tough, but if with a woman being tough was a different thing then. She said, but then, kid, that's when they put the S on the end of my last name. <laughs> I choked on my kumquat. <laughs> she said, God bless her. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher for future episodes. And visit the American Masters website at pbs.org slash American Masters for digital archive gems, past episodes, and more. You can also find American Masters on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, and YouTube. We'll be back in two weeks for our next episode of the American Masters podcast. Podcast.